Well, hello and welcome to the Catherine Plano podcast, where we share tips, tricks, tools, and strategies that you can implement in your life for massive improvements. Every week, we have change instigators, compelling creators, and interesting humans who are breaking the cycle of convention and redefining success one mission at a time. So join us here every week for new lessons on how to lead a life that matters, how to escalate your life after failure, and how to inject more meaning, connection, and resilience into your life. Now let's jump into your weekly dose of practical goodness. to know some of the root causes of eye issues and how they can be addressed holistically, then this episode is for you. Claudia highlights the impact of nutrition and belief systems on eye health and provides tips on how to make positive changes. She also discusses the potential side effects of eye surgeries and how to avoid them. Claudia stresses the importance of changing the way we talk about our eyes to improve our mindset and approach to eye care. By becoming more conscious and appreciative of our eyes, we can take better care of them. Tune in to learn more practical tips for improving your eye health from a holistic perspective. Our guest this week is Claudia Mullenweg. Claudia, founder of Holistic Vision and creator of the Naturally Clear Vision Method, always hated her glasses and has made it her mission to help others see clearly naturally. Claudia is a sought-after international speaker and workshop leader. She focuses on finding the root cause of a client's blurry vision instead of using symptomatic treatments like glasses, contacts, or surgery that can actually make their eyesight worse in the long term. It's now time to tune into this one very inspirational human being. Enjoy. Well, today or this evening or this afternoon, it depends on what part of the world you are sitting in right now, we have the lovely Claudia Mullenweg. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Catherine, for inviting me. I'm so excited to uh, unpack this topic. I don't think we've ever had anyone on the show talk about what you're about to talk about. So the way that we love to start the show is we always love to ask our guests to share your story. So Claudia. Tell us, what inspired you to do what you do today? You might imagine that I used to wear glasses. Um, in fact, I got my first pair at age three. So I was super young, little kid. And while they helped me to see better, I, they really created a lot of pain for me. I was born in the 60s. And back then, you know, I was one out of two children later in school when I joined school that had glasses and I was teased and I was bullied had no friends. And back then it wasn't, you know, geek or nerds weren't there yet. So we were just losers, so to speak. And I remember I got into my teenage years and I had started to play handball and not because I was very athletic, because the handball team, the girls team, they needed players and they asked me to join. And I couldn't wear my glasses because they were actual glass. So the coach said, that's too dangerous. If, you know, the leather ball hits your face. And after three years of doing that, the eye doctor said my my, my eyes were normal. And I was like so excited and I was like just like 16 or 17 and the boys were complimenting me and I went from four-eyed into like, you know, you have beautiful eyes. And then I realized really quickly during my high school exams that my vision got blurry again. And back then I was like, I have to do, I have to find something because I don't want to be back in glasses. I just tasted freedom. And I found a book on the Bates method, um, you know, in a bookstore. I went from Hamburg, Germany, and I found one book. And I practiced these things and I kept my vision in really good shape. And then in my mid-30s, difficult marriage, ended in divorce, being a single mom, I was back in glasses. And a few years into that, I realized that my vision got worse so much quickly. And I was like, I've done this before. So I, I found that book again and I started practicing. And th at that point, I needed help. So I, I actually hired a coach and eventually became a teacher because I was so fascinated by this work. And now I've been doing this full time and helping, you know, thousands of people do the same. And I haven't worn glasses and I'm 60, well, how old I am? 62, I think. <laughs> I lost track. Um, I haven't worn glasses in basically 20 years. You look amazing for 62, by the way. Thank you. And thank you. 
So, so what, what is that? What's getting in the way? Cause I know I have to say my eyesight has definitely deteriorated over time and really only in the last couple of years. So what is that that's getting in the way of us uh, having good vision or like, it's, it, lo- it looks like, is it in our emotions? Is it our, the way that we think about things? Like what's getting in the way? That's a really great question. And, you know, I was born farsighted and all babies are born farsighted, but I was extremely farsighted with a convergent squint. My right eye was turning in, so I didn't have depth perception. So it really depends. We, we can't generally say it's always this thing. So I want to go one more step further. If you are, if you have a child, maybe you're a parent of a child that is nearsighted, knowing that babies are born farsighted and they have to actually develop the the effort of looking up close is an effort for the eyes, right? They have to kind of come together, the, the muscles tighten. And so babies have to learn this. And if a child is suddenly nearsighted, it's usually some adverse childhood ev- um, event or a trauma where the nervous system deemed the world not to be safe. And when we can't be safe, we can't relax. And when we are not relaxed, our vision will be blurry. And that everybody, if you ever had an accident or some dramatic event, and you know, you went in that kind of shock state and that extreme kind of sympathetic state, you know, fight or flight mode, you probably notice that your vision wasn't clear. And if that becomes a chronic state, you end up, you know, and then they put you on glasses, which actually manifest that whole thing. And, you know, some people say it's genetic and there's always genetic components in anything, but we know now from epigenetics, you have a lot more control over your genes than people might think. Um, It's usually more the environment and the lifestyle. And um, also the glasses at 40, you know, the near point loses, you know, a lot of times I look at people that have a passion in their life and that are excited and they are less likely to get in these readers than people that are like counting down to retirement so there is a lot of that, you know, like you just said, the emotional aspect, the postural aspect, uh, physical things, how you how, how healthy do you eat? I'm sorry. How healthy do you eat? You know, do you exercise? Like all these things affect our eyes probably more than any other organ. So. So, and, and as I was saying over the last couple of years, I have to also admit that I've been on computer much more mm than ever that I can recall. I'm even conscious, like even at nighttime, like to have red light, um, even in my room. So I don't have that bright uh, blue light from a, I mean, it's more so from a melatonin perspective. So I get to sleep because that when we start getting closer to our age, it's, it is, it, sleep is important. So I'm curious because I know my eyes is definitely like even reading. I can't, it's, I'm on I almost need a magnifying glass, Claudia, to actually see what I'm reading. So you're, are you saying that we can train ourselves out of our glasses and we can improve our eyes? How do we do that? So basically, like it sounds maybe overly simple, but vision problems, you know, again, I talked about the emotional aspects, but there's always a stressor or strain. There's always some reason why we don't see. We're making an effort to see, and it could be because of emotional reasons. It could be because of the lighting, but there's always some kind of strain, some kind of efforting, because vision is as easy as hearing. It's like all the other senses. We receive light, the eyes are light receivers, and then we process in the visual cortex in the brain. I always say, you know, my little rubber eye, well, we don't see with the eyes, you know, but that's everything the eye doctor looks like. They don't look at your brain and they don't usually ask you, like you talk about sleep, right? Sleep is super important. So stress is kind of, when I ask people, when did you first get your glasses? A lot of times it's like excessive computer work, a divorce, we moved, or when they were in childhood, I was in college and I had all this pressure on me. And yes, the near point for eight hours a day isn't helping, but that's not the only cause. It's usually, you know, academic pressure to perform and all these kind of things are like this toxic cocktail. And then we create neck tension that reduces the blood flow to the brain. We may be sitting in like weird positions at the computer, you know, all these, it's like, it's not like one single thing. Usually it's like all these different things coming together that create that blurry vision. And yes, vision is 90% brain and 10% eyeball. And that's why we can train the brain, right? Because we don't see in the eyeball, the eyeball is just the, the receptor of the light. And then we interpret that into the, what we see. I love that because from a a psychology point of view, and this is what we were talking about before we came on the show, is when I looked into uh, my eyes and why my eyes are deteriorating and and, um, 
um, I'm also becoming a foveal vision. So my visual, my peripheral vision is um, waning. It's, it's, it's getting like, so I don't, my peripheral vision is not as good. And when I was looking into it, it was, um, and I have stigmatism as well. I was looking into this, like really, what is it that I'm fearing about seeing myself? Or what is it that I'm holding back from not really seeing what's happening in my environment? And I can relate to everything you were saying. I'm thinking, I think I, I actually, uh, the very first time I started wearing glasses is when I separated from my son's father. And that was quite traumatic. So then when I think about it, yeah, that's probably when I started wearing my glasses, my eyes started deteriorating. So I've never thought of that. So so there's obviously, I love the eye bit, by the way, that, that we see with our brain and not our eyes. So, so really, we're all wearing glasses when we don't really need to wear glasses because it's a psychological driver that's impacting our eyesight. Is that correct? Absolutely. And I, there's so many things that you just shared that I could talk about. I definitely want to talk about astigmatism. That's a big one. But let's get back a little bit into, I call glasses the pills for the eyes because they are a band-aid and they don't actually address the root cause. And we call them corrective lenses, right? But when you think about it, like I always compare it to breaking a bone, right? When you break your arm, you get a cast and it corrects the bone and then the bone is eventually healed. You get rid of the cast, you do some physical therapy, and then you hopefully, you know, back to what you were before. But once you get into these corrective lenses, it just starts going downhill from there. You get deterioration in the vision, you get dependency. And I, I just blows my mind. How have we accepted that as a medical treatment? We wouldn't do that with any other, we wouldn't pay somebody to make our condition worse, right? Like it just doesn't make any sense to me. So that's one thing. And actually let me pause there because I want to make sure we don't get too much into a tangent, but astigmatism is a really good topic to talk about as well. And, and everyone has a stigmatism. I know so many people that have got stigmatism. So let's unpack that. So I'm, I'm, I've got lots of questions coming up. Let's unpack stigmatism before I go into all my questions that are bubbling up for me. So first of all, you know, stigma, you know, it's kind of funny because a lot of people say I have a stigmatism and then I look at their prescriptions and the stigmatism is measured in the, the strength is measured in, in diopters, just like, you know, your far on your sightedness. And then there's an axis related to that. And what that means is, so think about a normal eyeball. Obviously, my little rubber eyeball doesn't have a, a you know, the, the cornea sticking out. But a normal eyeball is round and it has like a dome-shaped cornea. Now, when you have, we have six outer eye muscles and I only have five fingers. So I assume there's, a, there's another one. And if one of these muscles is excessively tense, right, and it pulls on the eye, that will change the shape of the cornea. And with astigmatism, in most cases, 99%, there's always aberrations. But in most cases, it means that you have a flatter curve and a steeper curve, more like an American football versus like a soccer ball, right? So there is that kind of the, the unevenness, and that creates blurriness in a certain axis. So when you look at your prescription and it says, let's say it says axis 90. So that means that your flatter curve is in that 90 degree vertical axis. So if you have one that's you know, obviously there's all kind of everything in between, but let's um, keep with the simple ones. Let's say you have 180 or zero, which is the horizontal one. That is where your, your flattest curve in that horizontal um, aspect of your eye, right? And an optometrist named Elliot Forrest did all this research in the 80s with thousands of his patients, and he found a correlation to posture. So we can, unlike owls, the birds, we can move our eyes in our sockets, right? We can do this thing. But that's not how we should be looking at things. Like if I want to look over there, I should be moving my head. I should be looking at things straight on because our vision is best, right? We, we, if something is over there, we wouldn't be doing this. But if you have a second monitor, if you have papers on the side, if you whatever, and you constantly like do the same thing over and over, and that's what he chronicled. He chronicled his patient's behavior. And let's say that a new job, what were they doing with that body and their head? So he found this correlation of eye scanning, eye movements, and head movements. And he found if you habitually move your eyes by themselves, that you get that, that axis. You get that kind of, you know, um, flatter curve. Or if somebody is, let's say, left-handed, and they, they always write on the left, and they always look over, the right eye is now further away from the focal point, and then they get an astigmatism cylinder in the right eye. 
much stronger than the left eye. And they also looked at orchestra musicians, you know, violinists, they have their head tilted, but the music stand is not tilted. It's, it's not, you know, so basically the eyes are moving like this, but the, the scanning is that way. Our trombone players that have it tilted by the one eye is further away from the music stand. And they always could find the exact same astigmatism in these musicians. So that's the partial component of astigmatism, right? Just like what I, and that's easy once you understand, you know, or people have his head tilt. Sometimes I see people, you know, I don't know if you know James Spader and the blacklist. It's just like, you know, where you're like, I'm like, come on. You know, he always has this head like this. So that he is very likely going to have an astigmatism because he has this head tilt. Um, and then the other aspects are mentally, astigmatism means that you don't have one focal point, but you have several focal points. So I don't want to get too much into anatomy, but when you're farsighted, your eyeball is a little bit too short, the focal point falls behind the retina. If you are nearsighted, the eyeball is a little bit too long and the focal point falls in front of the retina. And if you have astigmatism, you have more than one. And it's related to that kind of ADD, multitasking, like juggling all these things at the same time and not focusing on one thing. And you said earlier, beautifully, and have the other things in your peripheral awareness. So you do one thing, but you, you don't ignore the other stuff. You don't have tunnel vision, but you kind of don't focus on like three things at once, which we anatomically cannot do. And then last aspect is the emotional aspect, which is related to, and this is work based on the work of Martin Brothman, who was a, 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 not a doctor, but he did a lot of research on vision, curing his own vision. And he found that astigmatic people somehow we're not validated in childhood and they somehow have this feeling they're not, they can't be their true selves. They have to kind of be an actor or play a role to fit in. And he even found a right-handed person. The right side is connected to the wants. What do I really want? And the left side is what do I really feel about things? And the left-handed person is the other way around. And it's interesting. So, and I had that astigmatism in my right eye pretty bad. And I always struggled. I always ask everybody else, what should I do? What should I do? So that's a sign of astigmatism, not making decisions and basically not really knowing what you really want, you know? So I hope I know that it's a it's a big story, but it, it has so many levels to it. And um, it's easy to reverse, really. Oh, can't wait to hear how to do that. So I could relate to all of that because my mind never stops. So I'm always like, you know, juggling a million things at once. Uh, and I'm from an, uh, a physiology point of view as well. I'm a little bit lopsided. So every time I've had my back uh, worked on or anything like that, I have been told I'm a little bit lopsided. So uh, that I can relate to that. That's amazing. So because it sounds like it's not just for you. You you actually work with you have a holistic approach, right? It's the psychotherapy or the psychology, the physiology, uh, not just the eye itself. So I'm curious, how do we fix um, astigmatism? So first of all, astigmatism means that only the exact crosshairs of your glasses are sharp, which locks your eyes. So we haven't talked about that yet, but good vision requires lots of eye movement. And it's more like moving your attention but now when you have that kind of only the center of the glasses is sharp, you're you're actually less likely to move your eyes. It's kind of becoming a stare, right? And the first thing we need to do is remove the astigmatism out of the glasses. And I teach my clients how to do that even without lowering the prescription. And if somebody has a really high level, like a four or five or six day after of astigmatism in their cylinder, we might have to start with baby steps, like reducing it and then eventually. But most people that I that I work with have a one or less, and that is almost not even noticeable in their vision. So we just remove it. And it's because if you have astigmatism correction, it's like wearing that cast and now you want to improve your range of motion and your biceps, you know, that doesn't work. So that's the first step. And in vision improvement, we always have to lower the strength of the glasses. And it's very important to do that in a safe way. Not like, you know, I throw my glasses away. That usually doesn't work. And depending on your vision condition, so I don't know about your vision, um, but let's say you're farsighted. Most people start with reading glasses. So they already know that the diopters that they get from the readers, let's say plus one, plus one and a half, plus two, they only work for reading. But when they when they when they look in the distance, they have to take them off because that's so diopters only correct you from one distance, right? So that's why eventually when you were readers for a long time, you your distance vision goes downhill, and then you end up in these horrible bifocals and progressives. 
And that's when I see people at the computer with like these weird health postures because now they're trying to find the right diopter for the, and that creates more neck tension. So I get everybody out of those glasses. And then if needed, maybe a prayer for near, maybe a prayer for far, depending on what you do. If you're in front of the computer all day and you're not driving a car, you might not even need distance glasses or just a minor one just to feel you know relaxed and safe. If you're driving, then you have different requirements. And then we look at like, what is your current prescription giving you? And sometimes people, a lot of times people are overprescribed by the eye doctor for 2015, 2010, because an eye exam is stressful. And usually people end up with a way too strong prescription. And what does the doctor say? Don't worry, you get used to them. And that means you're effectively making your vision worse. I'm like, no, 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 you don't get used to them. That Tell them that you want weaker glasses, right? Um, and then if you're nearsighted, here's the danger with nearsightedness. Most, a lot of people wear contacts and for nearsightedness, you get corrected for the distance for 20 feet. But now you spend like eight, 10 hours at the computer, which is two feet away. So that is really, and when you're young, you can, you can pull that off, but that's a strain. That's like way too strong. So I always tell people get, if you're spending all day in front of the computer and you wear contacts, get contacts for computer vision. And then when you're driving, you can put an additional minus diopter and glasses on top, you know, just so, so safe for driving. So that's the first thing. Get out of these progressive glasses. And, and monovision is another thing. And I know I'm branding on, but monovision is where they do one eye for near, one eye for far. Horrible. I mean, it's so, so convenient. You don't need glasses. But what happens, you lose your depth perception because now the eyes never work together. And then people, as they get older, they trip, they fall. You know, so monovision is some people like it. And I'm never, never saying if somebody likes it, I'm like, whatever works for you. But I really, really, really. And I know eye doctors that I work with agree. It's the worst thing you can do is having one eye for near and one eye for far. Your whole body gets like lopsided, like the whole balance is off. If one eye is corrected for near and one eye is for far, it's like it's like teeter totter. It's really not good for your whole system. It makes so much sense because especially now that I'm looking at from a brain perspective, it makes sense that what you're basically training the eye to do will impact the brain and therefore your whole physiology. And it's so true what you're saying. Like I never use my eyes. It just reminded me, I was trying to think of a class where we had to do these eye exercises, uh, which felt really awkward. So we had to go around one way, around another way, side, side. And it was before a meditation. But it was to activate, I think, the pineal gland before the meditation. Um, so, yes, as you're saying, we don't move our eyes. I actually move my head. I don't move my eyes around to, to, to have a look at what is either on my right or left-hand side. So I love that. I just want to go back with the light because I've heard different things. So we wear sunglasses to protect our eyes from UV ray, uh, UV rays. Uh, and then I also have seen... Uh, other uh, holistic uh, healers talk about walking with your eyes open in the sun, staring, like they talk about sun glaring. So I'd love to understand, is it safe or unsafe to sun, sun glare? And what is the purpose of our, our sunglasses? I love that question. So it's usually called sun gazing. I'm not, so this, I think it's a practice that also comes from yoga, like the eye circuits you were talking about. I don't actually teach that. Um, yes, we need to move the eyes, but along with the head, the eye circles can be great to find, especially with astigmatism, you have that tension. And if you look in any direction, there's a lot of pain, you know, that those muscles are really tight and it's a nice way to stretch those muscles, but we don't see that way. I teach people naturally clear vision habits, like blinking or easy things that are important for good vision. So that's something I don't really teach. I, I don't teach eye exercises at all. Um, but when it comes to sunglasses, so here's the thing. We have built-in sunglasses called pupils. And when it when it's really bright, they're small. And when it gets dark, they open up. Now, I used to be so light sensitive. I live in Los Angeles. And I wore sunglasses even on overcast days. I basically never exposed my eyes to light. But now eyes are light receivers. And it's like your ears are so sensitive to sound. Like you can't hear anything. You want to wear earmuffs all day. Like it doesn't make sense, right? And obviously we have to use co common sense, right? If it's extremely bright or if you are like, I'm Northern European, there could be conditions like in the snow, but I haven't worn sunglasses in 20 years. And I usually wear a hat, you know, sometimes it's the angle of the sun that's bothering me, but I teach people how to safely reduce the light sensitivity because light sensitivity 
And guess what? Astigmatism, nearsightedness, and farsightedness are related because they are refractive errors. They're about the refraction of the light. And if you're light sensitive, you have to address that. Now, again, if you have certain conditions where for some reason your pupil doesn't constrict, you know, maybe a medical condition where your pupil, they don't work, or maybe you take some drugs where your pupils are staying open, then really important to wear sunglasses. But if you have healthy eyes, it's actually important to let your eyes receive the light. And we have our macula is covered with these plant pigments. They're called yellow. They're yellow. And that's why it's called full, like yellow spot in the eyes where we have the sharpest vision. And that absorbs the blue light. Now, we get that from dark leafy greens and egg yolks. And if people don't eat a good diet, then they get that age-related macular degeneration because eventually the sun can cause damage. If you don't, if you eat, you know, what we call the sad diet here in America, the standard American diet, you know, when you get into your 60s or 70s, all that stuff will catch up with you. So eating a good diet is not so, I wouldn't say it's not important, but you don't see the effect so much when you're younger with your eyes. But as you get older, all these age-related eye diseases are not really age-related. So I'm a big proponent of not using sunglasses, except you have medical conditions or, you you know, any of those things, or you're in extreme conditions, because that will actually help you see better is getting your eyes used to the light and, you know, exposing them to light and vitamin D. We have estrogen hormones and like so much stuff is regulated by sunlight. And if you always wear these dark goggles, like Alice Huxley used to call them, your eyes will get, your vision will get more, you will get more and more light sensitive. So it's kind of a, you know, chicken and the egg kind of scenario. I know. And, you know, and it's, I'm very light sensitive, even in a, if I go into a shopping center and it's got white tiles and it's glares, I get all dizzy. I, I get almost disorientated, which is not a pleasant feeling. It makes so much that sense. Could, that could be your astigmatism, but you talked about, I asked sun. So I don't, I don't really do sun gazing. What I do, if I do look at the sun, you know, I do it in the early morning and late evening, and then I would do a lot of blinking you know, so I wouldn't, I would never like look at the sun like that without blinking. You know, I, that's not what I recommend. Um, so I would, you know, I think in India, they do that where they look at the sun for like 30 minutes. I, I That's not part of my protocol. No. Mm-hmm. So you're saying these, this old belief system that we hold that as we get older, our eyes deteriorate is not true. Well, okay. Of course, as we get older, right, I look, I have, you know, more wrinkles and, you know, obviously there's changes in the body, but it doesn't mean that everything is going to fall apart. And eye doctors will will literally tell you at 40, you get readers, at 50, you get bifocals, at 60, you get cataracts, at 70, you get age-related macular degeneration, and then at 90, you're dead. I don't know. But I mean, it's like, no, it doesn't have to be that way because it's common, but also because people don't pay attention and they eat a poor diet and we don't move enough. And you know, so it's it's all these factors that will create these th- things. But, you know, I used to smoke cigarettes. You know, I'm from Germany. I mean, I'm not saying I had the healthiest habits when I was younger, right? And eventually these things catch up with us, but we can always make changes and we can avoid these eye diseases. And I just had an eye exam. My eyes are in perfect condition, no cataract, nothing, you know, and many people get these cataracts at, you know, at like 60, age 60. So it doesn't mean that we don't change. But it means that you have to be even on more like higher levels of maintenance and have to really take this serious because how important is your vision to you, right? Like people are like, I don't have time to do vision practices. I'm like, you're brushing your teeth twice a day or three times a day. Maybe you floss, you know, as when we wash our face, we wash the makeup off. We easily spend 15 minutes a day on dental care and skin care, if not more. But now what is your vision worth to you, right? There's no dentures that can, you know, I'm not saying... What's more important? But when I ask that question, you know, you don't mind spending five thousand or more dollars on implants and dentures and crown, whatever all the stuff that people do, bridges. I don't even know. I'm not a dental expert, but when it comes to vision care, a lot of times, you know, I don't know if that's worth it. You know, and so to me, it's like you can make changes at any age with any condition. Does it mean that an eighty-year-old with severe cataracts can return to perfect vision? No but you can stop the progression and you can make improvements at any age. And that's really what I want people to think about. It's more your control than anybody else's control, how your eyesight looks like in the next five, 10, 20 years. I love that. And I, I'm a true believer that we are what we eat. And it's funny, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day 
you would rather stay on high blood pressure tablets or whatever tablets they were on to to keep the bad habits of eating your bad food where you could actually change your whole way of uh, eating uh, to then get off these tablets. It's like the same with the eyes. I hear people say, I don't want to wear glasses. So they go and get laser surgery, which freaks me out what they do to their eyes. What are your thoughts about laser surgery? Okay. Here's the thing. I think as humans, we just want that quick fix, right? We don't want to put in that work. We don't want to change our habits. We don't want to change our diet, right? And so LASIK is kind of that quick fix, but it basically it's a cut in the cornea and it's an irreversible cut. And we haven't talked about this, but vision varies for everyone. When we are sick, when we are cold, whenever we have a um, stress, when we, let's say, have a cold, or maybe we have had COVID or whatever, or we are just anxious or worried, our vision is not as good as when we are relaxed. And now you get this cut. And if you go to an eye doctor every day, you will get different measurements each time. But now they make this cut into your cornea. You cannot reverse it. And now knowing that diopter is only correctly for one distance, so everybody that's nearsighted that gets it for far distance, when they're younger, yeah, fine, maybe 10 years, maybe 12 years if you're lucky. You, and then eventually, guess what? They all had to put readers on top. So it does. It's not. It's not a lasting solution. And because they cut into your cornea, you're at higher risk for corneal issues. A lot of people have super dry eye. They need to take prescription eye drops, which are expensive and have side effects. They cannot. They see halos at night around, like or starbursts around around lights at night, which means they might not be able to drive at night. I've heard if you go to LASIKcomplications.com, you know you see all the horror stories. There was a news anchor in America that committed suicide after LASIK, but because of it, she had so much pain in her eyes. But I also know people, I know a lot of people that are happy with it and maybe advise them 10 years of not needing glasses. But guess what? You're all going to end up back in glasses, guys. There is no permanent solution that is a quick fix. Oh, that's scary. I've I've never even, I mean, I, I like wearing glasses anyway. I think it's kind of more of a fashion thing for me these days than, uh, than really needing them. But I do need them. It makes a big difference. What am I saying? Uh, so what co- creates dry eyes? You mentioned dry eyes. I know a few people that say that their eyes are really dry all the time. Um, oh, I did a whole episode on that. There's so many factors. But one of the simplest things, and this is actually, I know you're probably going to ask me for nuggets, but one of the things I want to share is blinking. And blinking is so simple. And we do it automatically, like breathing, thankfully. I always think like if we wouldn't, if we wouldn't, if we had to think about breathing, we would all be dead. So blinking, you know, they found when people look at computers, we only blink two to three times per minute. But healthy eyes, you need to blink every two to three times per sec, like not per second, but every two or three seconds, basically. So I had to initially put stickers on my computer and remind myself, and now I cannot not blink, right? It, it immediately dries my eyes out and it only takes 10 seconds of not blinking to thin the tear film. And the tear film also has oil like fats in it. So sometimes it's like a lack of omega-3 fatty acids, could be a meibomian gland dysfunction where there's, it's literally blocked, where there's not enough t- tear fluid produced. Um, what else could be the reason? You know, maybe the eyelids don't close all the way. So there's like, you know, always air coming in that is basically evaporating the tear film. But blinking is probably the blinking. And what I also teach is resting your eyes are probably the two of the simplest things you can do with dry eyes and contacts. Some people get dry eyes from contacts, but screens, remember to blink, remember to blink. And that's such a simple thing that you can just immediately implement. And you might have to remind yourself initially. But I always tell people, blink a lot, like maybe for 10 seconds, blink a lot. And then you teach your body how to crave blinking versus just thinking about it. I love that. And as you were saying, I'm sitting there just blinking my eyes as you were talking, <laughs> which is really funny. Uh, so I'm I'm sure our audience are really curious, Claudia, what are they to expect if they come and see you? Because I know even for me, I'm like, well, I'm coming to see you because I want to get rid of these glasses, <laughs> the stigmatism, the the foveal vision that I'm I'm experiencing. So what are we to expect when we first come to see you? So I have different programs and I have an introductory program where it's really just teaching you the foundations of relaxation. It's rest light and movement. And that's kind of the found physical foundations. And that's what I do in that program. I do my fascia release. I have little massage balls that I teach people to use so that you can actually, because a lot of times all this tension, we work on the breath. Because if you're in that heightened stress mode, you're doing chest breathing, all that gets tense. So really 
that relaxation, uh, regulating of the nervous system. So that's kind of my 21 day program where we really look at that. That one doesn't include getting into weaker glasses. I basically tell people either wear an older pair. If you're faster, you get readers from the dollar store. You can get really inexpensive readers. Do as much as you can without glasses, whatever feels safe and comfortable. And then in my uh, natural care vision program is where we look at where I teach people. And I'm actually just starting with a new group where we have, where we, we do something called a diopter clinic. Like we look at your prescriptions and I teach people, what do these numbers mean? And they're like, oh, I had no idea, you know? And so really understanding what does it actually mean? What's in your glasses? And we break that apart. And then we look at like, what are your diopters without astigmatism for distance? And what are your diopters for near vision? And I call that clean diopters. It's just a term I coined um, so that they understand what is your actual numbers mean. And then we measure, we give them, I give them, I, you see eye charts behind me. We look at eye charts. We measure like for driving again, there is, you have to have 20, 40 vision. It's, my safety is always highest priority. And then they learn how to measure so that they can order reduced glasses and they don't, don't even need an eye doctor, but they have to, you know, they have, this is their decision. I guide them. I don't prescribe anything. And and sometimes we recommend so-called pinhole glasses, which are a glass with little holes in them. That, that reflect the light for you and they actually correct near or far sightedness to a certain level. So that could be a good alternative for people. But basically you need to get all of your full strength glasses in order to, you know, you, you, if you wear them all day long and you, you don't really see any improvements, like no amount of eye exercises will change that. And then we really get into that relaxation and the habits and the day-night vision, the peripheral vision, like you talked about, you know, how is, how is, how are our eyes designed to see the, the small, really tiny point of perfect clarity that we have in our phobia, which blew my mind, and learning and really learning those good habits. We look at fusion of like practice, like how how is your fusion? And sometimes people don't realize they don't have depth perception, or it's really bad. It's re like the monovision, especially. So we look at that, and we look at the mental and, and emotional aspects as well. Um, Ninety percent of vision is brain, so we use a lot of imagination and memory. Uh, to improve vision, we work with eye charts. It's not like rolling your eyes in a circle. It's not really eye exercises. What I always say, it's like relearning to see in a way where you, the practices are just designed to make you feel the difference when you do something without effort, when you see in an easy, effortless way, you receive the light versus, you know, straining and making an effort. So it's really teaching you what I call strains and gains, like really like you know, sometimes people are like, oh, I realize when I'm in the garden, my eyes are really relaxed. But when I look at, you know, when I do my bookkeeping, I don't know, I get really big eye strain. And it might not even be related to the distance. It might be related to the task. Maybe you hate doing a task. So really, it's like it's like a journey that really teaches you at the end, you know, how to be out of glasses as much as possible or even completely free of glasses. I can never promise that because depending on what age and what condition people come to me, but, you know, even people that had prisms in their glasses where the prisms basically help you, the eyes to work together, because maybe the eyes are like a little bit wall-eyed or cross-eyed. And we do we do like trainings to actually get the eyes to work together instead of doing the, let the prisms do the work for you. And um, I worked with clients that had vision therapy by behavioral optometrists, which I sometimes recommend to do in conjunction um, and then they really saw results with it adding the work that I teach, which is really based on nervous system regulation, naturally clear vision habits, um, new, like using the brain to see, right? It's kind of based on all those foundations. Vision therapy, which is done by behavioral or so-called, um, sometimes they call them um, developmental or neurooptometrists, is sometimes needed, but they also only exercise and never work with the relaxation aspect and the, you know, resting the eyes. They only, so sometimes they, they need both. And I also want to say, sometimes I have people come to me with really advanced cataracts where I, all I can say, listen, you, at this point, you do need the surgery, but in combination with the natural methods, you can actually keep your self glasses free versus doing the surgery. And then in most cases, within a few weeks or a few months, you're back in glasses. So, you know, I can, so it's not like either or, Sometimes we have to use traditional methods. It's not, not everything can always be done holistically, but it's always a really great way because you learn how your, your lifestyle and your habits actually make your vision better or worse, right? So that's really what my mission is to teach people and also 
to understand enough about their vision so that when they go to the eye doctor, which I recommend is really important to get your eyes checked. You know, I sometimes I have clients that haven't been to the eye doctor in 20 years. I say, get your eye checked. Is your lens clear? Is your retina okay? Do you have glaucoma? What about your inocular pressure? It's really important to get that checked. So I, I don't want people to think I don't want to have them go to the eye doctor. What I don't encourage is getting a prescription for glasses, but I want them to check their eyes. And so, you know what I mean? So sometimes it's really the combination of both things. And if somebody has a really advanced cataract, you know, and they have that hope that somehow miraculously that dissolves, uh, I, I usually say, listen, I don't, I mean, if your vision is so clouded that no matter what glasses you put on, you can't see anything clearly, your brain will also deteriorate. And when you then do the surgery, then all, all of a sudden that clarity is overwhelming for your nervous system. So, you know, so I definitely, I'm not an um, opponent of allopathic medicine when it comes to vision care. Mm, I was asking because I was uh, curious about the psychological aspect, but then I've never heard of a behavioral behavioral uh, optometrist. So that's the first time I've heard that. So you working hand in hand with uh, somebody that looks after the, the, the psychology side of things or? It's not so much that. It's more so behavioral optometrist. So I am um, friends with some of them and really good friends, but they are the only, you know, part of eye care that actually addresses the functional work of the eyes. And the, those optometrists usually function, they focus on the fusion of the eyes, how the eyes work together. Some of them work with traumatic brain injuries, concussions, more the neurological aspect, but it's really more, it's not, they don't really address, they don't talk about astigmatism or nearsightedness or farsightedness which we consider the so-called refractive errors because they're based on refraction of light. They work more with amblyopia or strabismus or where you have double vision and you know your eyes to see two different things. So that's what a behavioral, again, sometimes depending on exactly what their specialty is, they're neuro-optometrists, behavioral optometrists or developmental optometrists. And a lot of them work primarily or only with children because that's what I had as a kid, right? I had that strabismus. And there's a really good book, actually, by Susan Berry. She has a TED Talk called Fixing My Gaze. And she is a, I forgot what she was, a neurologist, but she was really, you know, she works with the brain. And she had, her eyes were like not working together. They were like basically looking separately. Each eye had really good visual acuity, but they would never work together. And so she had the surgery where they cosmetically straighten your eyes. And she said, if only the ophthalmology group that did the surgery would have worked with the behavioral optometry group, so that my eyes wouldn't just look cosmetically nice, but they would actually work together as a pair. I would have depth perception. He never had depth perception her whole life. And then in her 50s, she was like, wait a moment. I know everything about the brain now, neuroplasticity, all this stuff. It makes no sense that I can't do this. And so she worked with a behavioral optometrist for like a year. She initially had prisons in her glasses. And at, in her 50s, for the first time in her life, she had depth perception. She saw the snowflakes falling from the sky in 3D. The steering wheel in her car popped out to her and she wrote a book about it. So, so, and she's like, it's crazy that it's such a divided, you know, they don't talk to each other and they do those surgeries where they cut your eye muscles and the eye that looks in is suddenly straight. But it doesn't mean that the brain now sees these eyes as to work as a team, right? It's still... So, so that's why, you know, I love that book because she made such a good point and we can really make changes at any age. And of course, when we are kids, when we are young, we have a higher level of neuroplasticity than we get older, right? I mean, there is a higher chance of getting that done quickly, but it's never too late, really. That's my message. It's never too late to make positive changes. It's never too late. And I think when you were talking about behavior, I was thinking, I'm into neuroscience and, um, so I was thinking of behavior and I was wondering, like, because we know as well, just from working with, you know, thousands of people that uh, how they show up is really is is basically their perception of what their real, they deem as their reality is the stuff that they've gone, uh, you know, their belief system. I mean, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough to what they value, to what they think, to what they feel, to then how they show up, which I'm sure there's a big piece there that's linked in with the the uh visual side of things because of as we were talking about before the visual cortex is connected it's like it's like plugged in straight into the brain so it all plays uh, a role right and you can see now the synergy of what you do and neuroscience as well there's a massive 100 percent, 100 percent. the belief systems you know sometimes 
people are so, you know, they keep saying I have, you know, they identify with the eye disease. It's almost like it's part of the person. Like if, what if I don't have that? What, who am I then? And so you're absolutely right. And the belief systems are really important. And I start with, can I share a good nugget to another nugget right now? Or do you? Oh, do we, 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 can, we, we can, we can, we, if you want to, we can dive into, into our three shiny gold nuggets right now. Absolutely. Okay. So the blinking was number one. It's so simple. So just blink more, especially if you have dry eyes. But another one is change how you talk about your eyes. I hear all the time, I'm blind without my glasses. And then I look at their prescription. It's a minus one, you know, nearsightedness. I'm like, oh, really? You're blind? You can't see me? And they're like, oh, no, I can see you. You're just not clear. I'm like, okay, stop saying I'm blind without my glasses or I'm blind like a bat. You know, start appreciating your eyes. Say, I'm grateful for all the beauty you let me see. You don't have to make it. You don't have to make up stuff that doesn't feel true. But, you know, show the gratitude, really change how you talk about your eyes. So that's a really good nugget because I hear that so much. I'm blind. My eyes are crap. I can't see anything. And like you're literally creating that reality for yourself by repeatedly saying those things. Right. You're... <laughs> so that's another golden nugget. And then um, resting your eyes. So that's we call that palming. It's also an ancient tradition from yoga, you know, where you basically you some people call it cupping where you close your eyes and you cup your hands and you cover your closed eyes and you want to have, you know, rest for your elbows, usually relax your shoulders and then just closing your eyes and giving them that little warm cocoon is a really great way for also for dry eyes to really rest your eyes. And it's also about, it's kind of more like a meditation than a physical practice because you want your mind, like if your mind is not relaxed, your body and your eyes cannot relax. So go to a happy place in your mind. Like what is a happy memory where you or something what you can bring up where you just go like, oh, yeah. And you don't have to make any effort to bring that up in your mind. There's no, it's immediately right there in your mind. You maybe take a few deep breaths. And I'm not, I'm going to cut this short, but I would usually, and then when you come out of it, you remove your hands and you keep your eyes closed until you get used to the light and then you blink your eyes five times and I do five gentle squeezes and for most people the eyes feel really refreshed and lubricated but it's important that you also bring in your mind that you go to a place where you feel really relaxed because don't go through your shopping list in, in your mind that's you know it's not just a physical rest for the eyes it's actually really tuning into that ease and effortlessness and feeling happy and feeling joy so that's that's probably my third one. And we talked about the fourth one already, the, the sunglasses. Like really, like eyes are light receivers. And if your eyes cannot tolerate the light, how can you possibly see perfectly well, right? So, you know, slowly weaning yourself off the sunglasses. Don't necessarily throw them away, but maybe do more and more things without them. Maybe wear a cap or a hat instead. And you will be amazed that it's actually not. And that will help you with night driving, by the way. So people that struggle with night driving, I used to have big problems with the oncoming headlights. And now that I don't wear sunglasses, I can look straight into the brightest headlights. Not that I would do that on purpose, but it doesn't bother me anymore. And the pupillary reaction, if you never expose your eyes to light, you, for your pupils to close and open gets really sluggish. And that's at night, you know, with the oncoming traffic, that's when you struggle, where your pupils to quickly close when the bright light comes on. And when it, the car passes for the pupils to open up again, it takes too long. And that makes it so scary for many people to drive at night. And sunning or sunlight exposure is one of those things, or not wearing sunglasses, one of those things that helped me. Like now I love driving at night. And before it was my worst nightmare. Gosh, I'm relating to so much. I actually always say to my son, can you come in, uh, come with me with uh, putting the number of the credit card or the number because I'm blind as a bat. So I say that. <laughs> I wear sunglasses, like my big Sophia Loren sunglasses every day when I go for a walk and I struggle at nighttime driving. So I'm relating to absolutely everything that you spoke about. Wow, we could go on forever. As you said, you've got hours <laughs> worth of content. We might have to get you back on the show because I am conscious of your time. So, Claudia, where is the best place for our tribe to find you? Where do you hang out the most? So I on the social media, definitely Instagram for me. I have not really ventured into TikTok and uh, I'm not as big on Facebook anymore or LinkedIn. So Instagram, Holistic Vision Coach, is probably the best way if you are on Instagram and social media. My website, myholisticvision.com. Um, I also have a free download. I think you're going to link that in the show notes. 
that should also pop up on my website. Um, it's basically called 10 Habits for Healthy, Happy Eyes. I explain the astigmatism posture thing in there. I talk about the sunlight. I talk about the resting your eyes, about the blinking. So that's a really great guide. It gives you 10 things you can do to get started. And then, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. That's where I, and, and YouTube. Oh, I forgot my YouTube. YouTube, I have a free show every week uh, that's live. And I bring on guests as well. Or I teach myself. And that's, um, it's the same handle, Holistic Vision Coach. Amazing. Thank you so much. We'll have that all in the show notes. I can't thank you enough. It's been such an amazing, amazing interview because like I said we've never had anyone come and talk about eyes and I've learned so much so I'm absolutely going to get a deep dive into how I can improve my eyesight so thank you so much for sharing your wealth of wisdom and thank you for your time and your energy thank you so much for having me this was really fun it was thank you Thank you so very much for listening to today's episode. If you loved what you heard and this topic really resonated with you and you think it will help others, please click on share show with your friends to help make a difference. And if you want to be part of our mission to help empower the conscious people of this world to learn and grow, then the best way to get involved is to click on follow show or leave a review on iTunes so that we can give you a shout out on the show. If you have been a long time listener of the show, you know we are big on delivering content that is valuable for you. Content that will address your pain points. So if you have any questions or ideas for a podcast show, please reach out and we will create the content to meet your needs. Yes, you heard right. If you have topics, themes or special guests that you want to hear from, please send us a note to support at katherineplano.com.au and we will create a show especially for you. Wherever you are in the world, sending you love, blessings and peace. Namaste.